This podcast is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. The country we now call Australia was built on the stolen lands of hundreds of unique Indigenous nations, and we recognise that as white women, we continue to partake in and benefit from that act of colonisation. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Welcome to Books Up. Welcome. 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 Welcome to Books Up. Was that your sexy voice? (laughs) Welcome to Books Up, a podcast bringing erotica out of the gutter and into a snobbier gutter. Hi, my name is Abby. And I'm Sam. It should go without saying that this podcast is not safe for work, so put your headphones in. Hi, Abby. Hi, Sam. How are you? <laughs> I'm pretty good. I'm feeling excited about us being in this a studio. It's really fancy. I don't know if you listeners, all of our <laughs> listeners can tell, but... Uh, the audio quality has just skyrocketed. <laughs> All five of you will be really enjoying this in your headphones right now. You can so. hear us breathe and like swallow and make it's real. weird sex noises. ASMR? Is that what that is? ASMR? Yeah. What if I do this? Ooh, yeah, that's Ooh. good. That's nice. <laughs> what do you got for me this week? Okay, so I guess I want to preface today's discussion with uh, a goal that I have set for myself. And... Essentially, well, actually, it's two. It's a two-part goal because, of course, it's not just one goal. <laughs> I love the goal in two parts. <laughs> okay, so I really want to find some erotica that actually turns me on. That's so, a good goal. Yeah. So far, we've spoken a lot about, like, kind of, uh, I guess we've kind of played in the sort of silly silly and abstract and, and kind of weird areas. Not mm-hmm. we- I say weird lovingly, just to be clear. Um, but nothing that I've read has actually, like, made me want to put the book down and have a wank. So. And, yeah, and I think it's it's none of them have been a one-handed read. No. <laughs> and I think it's a, it's a good goal to have because essentially like we're not just poking fun at this, we're we're talking about the actual things that it's adding to this industry and to do that we should actually be finding things that we enjoy. Yeah, so I I guess I just actually really want to find the pleasure in it as well as intellectualizing the pleasure. Um, part two of the goal was that I wanted to find more books in real life, like actually find them in bookstores or in second hand books and things like that. Um, so this one I did, I did buy it, um, from a bookstore and I guess that's an independent bookstore. Yes, actually. Um, but yeah, I've been looking around in op shops and things like that as well for, uh, secondhand romance and erotica. The problem is it's mostly romance, right? Like there's not really that much erotica and, and I guess people maybe are a little too ashamed to be dropping an erotica at their at their vinnies. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I, I guess they go hand in hand because I I want to find the erotica and I I want to know that it exists somewhere other than the internet. Mm. Um, so today I have for you this number. Okay. Um. I feel like I've seen this yeah. out and about. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize it was a sexy book. Yeah. Um. So it's called The Collection by Nina Legge. Legge? I'm going to say Legere because she's French. Legere. <laughs> I mean, that's nice. And it is um covered by pink mushrooms. They're mushrooms, right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if we've actually had this discussion on the podcast or if this has just been in our real life about vaginas 
being, oh no, it was in our real life. <laughs> They're blurring into one. About the, like, putting vaginas or things that resemble vaginas and how we were kind of sick of things like um, flowers and pom- and yeah and figs and stuff. And this is kind of nice. Like, it's a very classy and yet... They're obviously vaginas. It's interesting you say that because a lot of people say that they kind of look a bit phallic. So oh. I don't know. Like I kind of, I kind of get both. Like I, oh, something yeah. about it, it does look very like just misc genitalia. Yeah, you know? and I think it's mostly to do with like the color scheme that makes mm. me think vagina rather than actually. Now that I'm looking at the actual shapes of them, I'm like, oh yeah, no, I can see dicks. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, can I see dicks everywhere. <laughs> I see dicks. I could see both. Yeah. Um, I get it now. There's something very fleshy about mushrooms, though, about fungi. Yeah, fungi weirds me out. I mean, I don't like the mouthfeel, to talk about it again, of a fungus. I like the taste of a mushroom, but now I have to, like, hide it in food because I'm not a real adult and I can't eat the mushrooms properly. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> Did not notice about you. Yeah, well, you know. There we go. <laughs> so, I... Loved this. I loved okay, this book. Great. Um, it didn't make me want to have a wank. But right. Does it take place in a in a forest? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was just thinking mushrooms. Oh. I just, like I was thinking maybe some like steamy, humid forest sex. No, not at all. Um, uh, it takes place in Paris. Um, not as well known for its mushrooms as a forest. N- no. <laughs> But quite well known for its eroticism, I suppose. Um, yeah, I guess. I mean, French, I think, have a bit of a bit of a reputation for being into the sex. Yeah. Okay. Okay. You disagree? No, I don't. I don't disagree. I I feel like maybe they did. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like it's something that I heard about a lot in like the early two thousands, late nineties. Bit of a tired stereotype. Yeah, I feel like it's not it's not bandied around as much as it is anymore. Yeah, that's fair. And that's I fair. I don't know why. That that's an interesting thing to think about. <laughs> like I just when you said that I was like, Oh yeah, French people and sex, but I was like, I just haven't maybe it's because I've actually met real French people and realised yeah. that they are in fact individual people <laughs> and not a stereotype of a person in a beret. Yeah. That's <laughs> having a good point. sex with someone with a full bush. You know, like that's <laughs> I mean, fair enough. Talk the bush. Um, so, yeah. So, I didn't want to have a wank, but I certainly had a brain wank, for sure. Um, okay. So, was it... What what happened? In the sense that it was, like, it was... It was it, it, stimul- <laughs> it stimulated me intellectually. Okay. Right. <laughs> I'm sure there's a name for that, like a libra, a libra sexual or something like that. Ooh. I mean, if not, we've done it. Yeah. Copyright. Um, so the collection was, um, published in French in, uh, 2017. Mm -hmm. The French title was, and I apologize to French people (laughs) everywhere, (laughs) all of our French listeners, um, mise en pièce, which like literally means tearing to pieces. Um, okay. None of these are sexy words. (laughs) Well, Well, yeah. Um, it was translated by Laura Francis, who is a English woman. Um, and I don't know if we'll get to talk about it much today because I think there's a lot to unpack here, but I just wanted to kind of like highlight how, um, that it is a translated work and that, um, uh, we've spoken about this before again mm-hmm. in, our, in our, in our, <laughs> um, about how 
infrequently we read translated works often like we're missing out on so much by only reading English works mm, and also about the act of translation and and how it's how it's portrayed and the idea of like I think there's something to be said and maybe we need to kind of just focus on this in another episode there's something to be said about translating a sexy book yeah and making it sexy and it comes into like the other things we we're talking about like the words what words people use that is a sexy word and whatever yeah. and and maybe that's different like I know well when I was in Brazil like one of the slang words for um vagina was was pomba which means dove pomba <laughs> is probably the cutest word it's a little bit which, it's a bit pumbery <laughs> which is like the first time I heard it I was like what yeah so there's all these slang words that we use like when you think about it like like pussy like what what is that what why do we think of it that way and and then you don't realize that other cultures obviously have different words to refer to penises and vaginas because nobody likes to say penis and vagina totally and i guess like like with any translation like it's not just about the words it's it's about conveying a meaning and a, mm. and a feeling and i guess that's kind of heightened if you're talking about sex because it's such an intimate um and politicized area so there's a lot of meaning that needs to be conveyed or you know in a in the case of a bad translation could be lost i guess mm. yeah definitely um I can't stop raving about this, but there's an episode of Call Your Girlfriend which talks about translated works, um, and I encourage everyone to go and listen to it. It's called Stop Homer Time, and it's excellent. Um, cool. So, um, it this book won the Anise Nin Prize. Oh, cool. Um, have you read any of her work? Delta of Venus? Or no, I haven't. I it was in my thousand and one books to read before you die, but. <laughs> I uh, left high school <laughs> before I could finish that book <laughs> of a thousand and one books to read, yeah. and uh, life got in the way. So. I love this because it's probably the only example of me reading something <laughs> before you did. In probably this not. Genre. Probably not true. Did you like Sylvia Plath? I feel like you were a Sylvia Plath person. Oh my god! Yes. Yeah. See, I. No. I mean, I really liked to wallow in anything that was depressing. Yep. So there we go. Um, well, I read Delta Ravenus um, in year 10, I think it was. And I think we should discuss that book another time. But it's relevant to this because it won um, the prize, the Anise Nin Prize. And I think that it really does kind of emulate a similar kind of vibe that um, that Nin gives off in her work. The book itself is, um, it's kind of hard for me to like recount it to you because it's Collect. It's a collection of short stories, right? Or no? Well, oh. no. It's a collection of penises, essentially. Oh, like the Banger Sisters. What have you? <laughs> so many times, my cultural references just go over your head. Yeah, but I'm sure they won't be lost on our thousands and thousands of listeners. <laughs> the Banger Sisters is like a movie with Goldie Horn and I love Goldie Horn. Oh my god, you haven't seen the Banger Sisters? Oh, every time oh. I get my fringe cut, I'm always like, I'm gonna look so much like Goldie Horn, and I never do. The Banger Sisters is about... It's Goldie Horn and another person who I can't remember who's also quite famous. And they were groupies in, like, the 60s or the 70s. And then one of them becomes, like, a real respectable woman and the other one's still, like, a bit of Goldie Horn is still a bit of a rock and roll, you know, groupie. Is. And she comes to visit the respectable woman and there's a scene where they go down to the basement and Goldie Horn finds this box which is they essentially took Polaroids of like all of the penises or all of the people the penises of the people <laughs> that they slept with and so they just have this collection of like Mick Jagger's dick and stuff oh in God. a box and then the other woman's like children come down and they're like ah anyway oh, 
I'm gonna watch that. Yes, probably please tonight. do. I, I I enjoy it. But yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So it's not it's not a linear storyline. The plot or lack thereof is all over the place. So um, I'm gonna tell you a bit about it and sort of like my interpretation of it. But I'm not gonna like recount too much of the actual story to you. But I think I actually think you should go and read it. I think that you okay. really enjoy it. I think you should give it to me to read. I will do that after this. <laughs> you do have it right in your hand. <laughs> you have to go and buy it. Support independent bookstores. Yeah. And Nina. <laughs> um, so, essentially, yeah, it's it's a collection of penises. Um, it's about a woman called Jeanne. Jeanne? <laughs> <laughs> Jeanne. Like Jeanne d'Arc. Yeah, right. Um, and she kind of goes about uh, this, like, methodical, anonymous sexual encounters with men that she picks up off the street and takes back to hotel rooms around Paris. Okay. Um, and so she, she sleeps with them and then she, through this process, she's like creating this, um, like memory palace where she stores all of these penises that she's collecting. Memory palace. It's yeah. so beautiful. Well, and it is described that way. Like there's right. a bit of surrealism in there. Like she will mentally walk through her palace and like go into different rooms and there'll be different memory penises in there (laughs) (laughs) memory penises yeah the ghost of penis past (laughs) she doesn't remember any of the other like she doesn't take note of any of the other qualities or characteristics of of the men that she sleeps with she barely ever mentions their name she doesn't care what they do or what their like physicality is the only thing that she focuses on is the penis um and yeah so I I really liked it because it felt like I was reading a protest. It felt like it was like a real reversal, um, like a flip of the norm in terms of, of objectifying women versus objectifying men in this case. Okay. Um, and it was kind of like this real like fetishization of of their physicality, not any part, not any other part of yeah, them. Yeah. Right. Which I found kind of fascinating. I also thought, and this made me laugh because it made me think of you. Um, I'm very concerned about where this is going. <laughs> you don't like me thinking about you while I'm reading erotica? Is that what you're saying? I mean, who knows? Will we ever not be able to think about each other when reading erotica again? Oh my god. Uh, our friendship was already like probably a little bit too close. Um, so... Her method for attracting these men in off the street is um, she pretends to faint. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've spoken about this before um, in terms of, like, how easily the female characters, like, fall asleep and this whole idea of, like, being, like, a delicate flower. And yeah. Whatnot. She uses it against them. Exactly. And yeah. I was like, fucking yeah, John. <laughs> um, so I'm going to read this little this little section for you. <laughs> <laughs> feels very poetic, like holding the book up to the light. (laughs) It's always when she tilts her head back. A dizzy spell, people assume. How could they think otherwise? Seeing her back pressed against the facade, her hand stirring the air, her slightly bent knees, her head tilted back. The disorder of the body which seems ready, with one sudden fall to rejoin the earth. A vertical plunge like a tower collapsing in on itself. A dizzy spell, people assume unaware that she falters without feeling faint, that she knows the means to reach an end, and that, always, as soon as she tilts her head back, a masculine voice, sometimes seasoned and self-assured, 
sometimes cracking before it is even raised, asks her, are you okay? She does not give his face, size, shoulders and stomach the slightest glance, for nothing in the outward appearance of a man ever foretells his penis. <laughs> right. Yeah. So she's she's quite cal- and she does it like methodically every time that she wants to take a man home to a not home a man to a hotel room. She does this little act, and it works every time. Like so, like she's not she's not being like, oh no, you don't look like you have a good penis. No, she she's just kind of like fascinated. She doesn't and she doesn't like all of the penises either. Like there's a one section where she's like talking about one that has a funny smell and stuff like that. Um, but she's like up for it all right okay um just as a side note yeah have you have you heard of the film nymphomania yeah did you like i watched the trailer for it because i was like i feel like i heard of it when it came out and there was the whole controversy yeah but then i was reading i i put into google nymphomania and essentially all of the things like google scholar and essentially all of the things about it said either like it was either about cows with ovarian cysts. Uh, what? <laughs> who apparently developed cow nymphomania. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. There were a lot of articles about ovarian cysts in cows and oh nymphomania. Okay. And then the other one was just about this, this movie and it sounds like a kind of similar-ish well, not so much the MO, but the woman in nymphomania in the movie just kind of like goes out and, you know, like at one point she's trying to see how many men her and her friend can have sex with on a train and and whatever but it was incredibly stressful but i feel like we should watch it it's in two parts goes for about five hours yeah i think we should um and i think that it's relevant for where this is going as well like because she does talk about nymphomania in the book and Mm. there is that kind of like idea of this like sexually insatiable woman and i think that that comes up quite a lot and that narrative comes up quite a lot in other areas um and I think that it particularly, we, we put it onto women a, a lot in society, like in terms of being that like hyperse- hypersexual. And it feels weird. It feels like most stories, I mean, we're still dividing most stories into this like virgin or whore dichotomy. I mean, we should all just give up because you're going to be demonized whichever way you go anyway. Oh, so. mate. Mate. Uh, <laughs> serious vibe. Serious book. Yeah. Serious vibe for a serious book. Um, so... I guess the main thing I wanted to talk about with this book that I really, really liked was that you don't get a backstory of Shan. You don't get a backstory at all of her character. Okay. Um, I mean, you you do. Like, they offer... Nina offers a few, like, potential storylines, but it's only in a way to, like, point the finger at and sort of critique this idea of needing a backstory in the sense that, like... Like, once you give a backstory to a character like this, you start to look for a reason. Like, as a reader, you're like, well, why is she having all this anonymous sex? Like, there mm. has to be a Like, reason what trauma it. happened in her life or... Yeah, exactly. What is the... Yeah, does she have daddy issues or whatever? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so you're denied that in this book, which I, I really respected. And I liked that it, it kind of just made you sit in this, like, uncomfortable space of being like, oh, maybe she just wants to do this Mm. um which felt really bold and um yeah i was really i was really into it like at one point that we're given like potential examples of like backstories she could have and they one of them has like she was abused as a child and so there's traumatic childhood and so that's why she's like trying to trying to what she's trying to work through and another one is she's like this 
um, woman who's been cheated on by her husband and so she's like seeking revenge mm. and what I found interesting was like the author kind of like points at that and is like well all of these things still centers around the man so and it's also like looking at a motive like what if her motive is just like I like dick yeah and I like sex and so like my motive is to get dick exactly <laughs> like <laughs> like let her have that let John have that <laughs> I mean, yeah, it comes up with this idea of like that this is this is deviant behavior. This is not the norm. You know, the idea of really just liking sex and particularly sex with strangers is yeah. is not the norm, which I mean, like if the norm is the majority, maybe it's not, but it's not necessarily like a kind of deviance or whatever, which is kind of an interesting thing about I Spoiler, I, I went really deep into nymphomania. <laughs> I like, I, but on a super nerdy academic level, like the history and the word, like where the word came yeah, from cool. and just all of this stuff. And I have so many notes about it. And like part of my notes are notes to myself being like, why am I here? Get me out of this rabbit hole. There are layers on layers. <laughs> so... So I've got a lot of opinions on this, but one of the things that came up with the history is that essentially prior to the 19th century, this idea of um, really sexual women was considered a deviant mm-hmm. a deviant behaviour, and they were just treated as kind of deviants. And I think also to keep in mind here is that a lot of what I'm talking about with this history has to do with middle class, upper middle class white women. So for instance, working class women were always seen as like, particularly lustful and sexual, same with uh, women of colour and anything that could be used to kind of demonise these other groups. But then from the 19th century onwards, with this um, increase in psychoanalysis, it was started It started to be seen as a, as a disease. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, so it went deviance and then a disease, which was considered a physical disease. So that was when you had a lot of things like um, clitoridectomies, so essentially genital mutilation and removing women's ovaries. And then in the kind of 20th century, it started to becoming a psycho, like a psychological behavioral thing, which is still kind of where we're at, but there's like some stuff going on at the moment, which is, which is quite interesting. But this idea of deviance is a really interesting one as like a, a way to, to put people down. Yeah. who are not conforming to certain things. So. Yeah, I guess it's a method of, of controlling. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I read, um, historically the symptoms, symptoms with the air quotes around them, were sexual insatiability. And I, I was reading that and I was like, maybe you just weren't getting them off. <laughs> <laughs> you just weren't getting it right. Um, lewd advances to men and women. <laughs> I was like, no, guilty. And worst of all, the practice of self-pleasure. Yeah. Like, we would 100% have been labelled nymphomaniacs in the oh, 1700s. On that, there is definitely an internet quiz you can take. <laughs> <laughs> and I definitely took the quiz. I love the idea of you typing into Google, am I a nymphomaniac? <laughs> 
It's for because it's no longer nymphomania anymore. It's it's hypersexual yeah. disorder, which is still not really a thing. But but anyway, and so I just did this quiz, and I have a, a mild indication of sexual addiction. Mild, yeah, which was in the middle little, of the scale. Were you a bit let down by that. I was a little <laughs> let down, but also, I mean, the main thing is that it's these questions of like, and also the questions are subjective. A lot of them were like, do you um, masturbate? Like, or does does your masturbation interfere with your day-to-day life? And I was like, no. Nah. <laughs> it improves it, bitches. <laughs> like, like, you know, do you, do you watch porn so much that it interferes with your day-to-day? It was all about whether it interferes with how you, yeah. how you relate. What if I'm just really good at planning my life and I exactly. schedule my porn? Exactly. <laughs> and the other thing is, like, one of the questions was, like, do you... Um, do you struggle to connect emotionally to partners? And I was like, I mean, yeah, but that's not because of the porn. Like, that's, like, why are we getting into that kind of question? That's that's for, like, I pay somebody to talk to me about that, not, like, an online quiz. But anyway, so, so there's a mild... But I also, I looked into, like, these causes that they discussed, and it was, like, these crazy things that... um essentially some of it was like some of it is actually disorder stuff so um you know women tearing off their clothes and um masturbating in public and these things that that would still be qualified as a little bit like okay there's something going on there but then it's also like divorcing your husband (laughs) feeling more passionate than your husband's actively trying to attract men for example wearing perfume (laughs) damn (laughs) So all of the, like it's just it's just kind of crazy this idea of you know yeah ha- what nymphomania is and how it's used and and it's kind of changed a lot but I will let you get back to the story because <laughs> we could keep on talking about this for a long time. Oh, and we will. <laughs> I just I don't know like I'm super skeptical of it. I just I know that there definitely would be instances like as anything like if it, if it gets too out of control of, of course and I'm sure that there are people who suffer from like um, uncontrollable urges and things like that in terms of like going into like proper like OCD level Mm. but like to me the idea of nymphomania it just feels really I'm really skeptical of anyone putting that label on on women as a way to just kind of pathologize Mm. sexual freedom well it's interesting in 2014 it was it was offered as a an entry for the DSM which is the kind of diseases manual it's an american Mm -hmm. kind of manual psychological manual that comes out and they rejected it and it was the first the dsm-5 is the first one that accepted um accepted gambling addiction as an addiction previous to that it had just been substance abuse um addictions yeah so dsm-5 was the first one that was like you can be addicted to things other than substance abuse but i read a lot of things that were essentially talking about this and saying it is quite dangerous to be um, pathologizing these these things and to be giving them um, status as as a disease. So, as I was saying, with like in the twentieth century when it started changing and psychoanalysis became like a much bigger thing, it flipped. So yeah. it was like, okay, well, all of these women were nymphomaniacs, and then in the twentieth century, it was suddenly like, no, if a woman did not experience vaginal orga- orgasm then it, they were diagnosed as frigid. Yeah. Fuck and, you guys. <laughs> and the idea was that, you know, you 
couldn't achieve orgasm so you became insatiable trying to achieve orgasm and and that was actually like, like frigidity the doesn't exist yeah and the other thing is like the dsm1 like i was reading about the dsm1 well, you really did go deep i know i know i really did but the dsm1 called like used a term called sexual deviation mm-hmm. as a as a diagnosable disease right sexual deviation um had included in it homosexuality, transvestism, pedophilia, fetishism, and sexual sadism. So sexual sadism included like BDSM, leather, all of that stuff, but then also included within its definition, rape, sexual abuse. They do not go in the same category. No. And and that's been changed now, right? But that's just, it's an example of how these things are used to actually still kind of it can have these far-reaching consequences and you know we can see how it's used against women with nymphomania it's understood like today that it's that it mostly affects men yeah yeah. which previously you don't hear about that in like pop culture it's always the crazed sexual like crazed sexual woman and and it runs through like people still know what a nymphomaniac is yeah it's still used in common in common technology but common technology (laughs) common speech vernacular <laughs> vernacular but what isn't is satirism yes which I, is the male version of I it read right that today, i was like how to pronounce i've never seen I, this like, word. I youtubed it <laughs> i was like satirism okay. um but yeah so like the diagnosis of, of like this this sexual and and i think now we've kind of gone beyond just women we can go back to kind of talking about women but but the idea of a diagnosis of of hypersexuality can also have these consequences of like now we've flipped right and we're we're moving into the idea that men can't control their urges yeah you know yeah. so some i was reading some doctors used this diagnosis for to defend bill clinton yeah oh yeah you know and, and to I say like it gets dangerously close to being um rape apologist as well being like oh you they just can't control their urges. exactly like so you know i just think in a lot of this it's best to just like not (laughs) diagnose people with with these kind of things that's that's my takeaway i read somewhere today that you're now in in western countries more likely to get a psychiatric diagnosis if you have low sexual desire so if you have female sexual arousal disorder Mm -hmm. um that's much more common inhibited sexual desire i think it's also called isd again like maybe you're just not fucking doing it right yeah um and it just made me so mad it's like i literally cannot win yeah, exactly. Um. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Back to the story. Yeah. <laughs> I and ugh, it makes me so mad. <laughs> um, so, ba-ba-da. yeah. So we're denied <laughs> we're denied this backstory of the main character, which then prevents us from trying to like 
diagnose her and it also prevents us from trying to cure her. So I think one of the interesting things that came out of this is that usually in in this kind of narrative, especially in like a nymphomania kind of narrative, you usually have either um, the fall or the redemption. So either she falls from grace and is like, oh my god, I'm a I'm I've learnt from all of my terrible things sexual (laughs) desires or a redemption and she like um like becomes better is cured um we do not get this in this book it is good uh yeah (laughs) it's good it is good um it's more of like a circular novel so at Mm -hmm. the at the beginning and at the end it's the very same passage and i was reading um a piece written by the author and she was saying that she did that on on purpose she didn't want it to be the regular structure of beginning middle and end where you could easily pinpoint um like a growth arc mm. of the character. She was like, no, this is this is what it is, and it's going to continue always. Amazing. Would you like to know some 19th century cures for nymphomania? <laughs> oh, my God, yes. <laughs> is it an orgasm? <laughs> oh my, no, it's it's absolutely the opposite of the orgasm. Is it I a have cold some, bath? I just, I also have, so I, yes, <laughs> that is one of them. I also just have, like, so I've separated my notes into, like, themes okay but one of mine is like cures for nymphomania but then the other one is just kind of like bonkers things that doctors thought which is like a separate thing but i want to tell you about the cures so there's one that's like separate temporarily from your from your husband or whatever you know maybe that's a good thing this i know exactly this is in relation to a woman who um went to her gynecologist in 1856 Mm -hmm. and she was like i have a problem i just i meet men she was married She's like, I meet men, and then the next night I dream about having sex with them you all go, the time. Girl. <laughs> and she's like, but I'm incredibly happy with my husband. We have sex two or three times a night, every single night. Whoa, They'd been married for seven years. <laughs> Amazing. 1856, Mrs. B. How? Wait, wait, wait. Getting it. Were condoms around at that point? I think it was like a pig intestine oh I just wonder how she's not falling pregnant that's all I mean she probably was multiple times yeah okay but anyway so then she anyway so he gave her these these things that was like stay away from the husband restrict meat intake yeah I read that too don't drink like brandy or anything that will like stimulate you yep replace all your mattresses and pillows from feather mattresses to hair mattresses because it was to limit the sensual quality of your sleep. Um, Limit the pleasure, essentially. Yeah, cold enemas. Swab your vagina with, like, some sort of solution, borax solution. I looked it up. I didn't even know what it was. I think it's used to clean drains. Oh, God. Mm. (laughs) Oh, God. Mm Mm-hmm. That's so like, terrible. Get over your nymphomania by getting really fucking sick. Um, and then there's the vaginal application of cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like a wild Good time. time. If anything, pair that with your nymphomania. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, obviously, if none of those worked, you get sent to an asylum. Which bum, sounds bum. less fun, except I also had this thing of, like, people who were considered nymphomaniacs and then also, like just deviants and whatever and it sounds like the funnest club it's nymphomaniacs lesbians prostitutes yeah prostitutes being the term that they use yeah of course um and suffragettes and feminists i want to be in that club (laughs) 
<laughs> go to the asylum, I say. You're going to have a rip-roaring time. It's probably it's a lot be... of real hot sex. Oh, my God. The there asylum. is so much <laughs> amazing lesbian sex and, like, cocaine-up vaginas. Oof. Just, like... Ooh. Also, I mean, not to be flippant about it, the asylums were terrible places <laughs> to be. Obviously, yeah. we're thinking of an alternate universe where women overrun the asylum, like, the, throw out all the men. There's a and, sexy book in that. Ooh, there's definitely a sexy book in that. Yeah. But um, I have a question about this sexy book. Yes. Where's the sex? Oh. <laughs> yeah, good good question. <laughs> um, it's It's everywhere, but it's not particularly sexy. Do you want me to give you an example? Please. Yes. Okay, so here's a section where she talks about the penis. The penis. Yeah, well, they're pretty much always referred to as as the penis. Okay. Also, in terms of the translation, like, like, it just really made me think of the word penis. (laughs) I was like, oh. It's it's... funny how reading the word penis over and over again will make you think about the word penis. But also, like, there's something about knowing that it was translated. Like, somebody sat down, well, Laura sat down and thought about really, like, really thought about what word to use and all we have is penis. Yeah. You know? Come on, English. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the man's penis has a smell that she doesn't like. It is curved with a very red glands and Did green... you choose, like, the the weirdest, grossest <laughs> sex part to read me out? Or were you... <laughs> like, um... is that on purpose? <laughs> I mean, I know that you love descriptions of... Weird curved green penises? Green veins. Oh, God. Get your, like, blood pressure checked. This is an interesting description. Vindictive. Visibly clean, but its vanilla odour nauseates her. Vanilla? Mm. She moves it away from her face and points it towards her stomach. The man reinstates it with two shuffles of his knees. New attempt. New reinstatement. New attempt. New reinstatement. Swifter still than the first two. Okay, it sounds like bureaucracy. Yeah, look, it's not, the sex is not particularly sexy. In fact, the only time that I was reading this, I was like, that's sexy, is when she, um, she gets herself off. Like, she goes to the sex store and buys a bunch of sex toys, and then just as, like, a, a break from the, the sleeping with anonymous men, she just spends a lot of time, like, getting to know her body, and it's the only time that the, that there's a really explicit description of her orgasm. Mm, okay. Um, so I was into that, and I thought it was interesting that that was the only time that it was really explored. Part of me does not like that. Like, I just, I feel like it's, and maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I guess it's kind of the point of the podcast. That's what we're here for. But, but, but part of me thinks that that seems like they're, um, equating like having some sort of emotional connection to your partner as having good sex Mm. yeah i I can definitely see where you're coming from and i guess the thing yeah similarly the thing that i would worry about is that like it takes away from the idea of her having sex for sex's sake for Mm. pleasure's sake alone um it seems like she has some sort of drive to do it rather than just enjoying it and that being the drive behind it yeah she does seem to enjoy it for the most part, although there is a there is a scene where a guy goes down on her and she gets really, really uncomfortable with that. So I definitely yeah. picked up on like elements of this idea of control. Like she spends a lot of time giving blowjobs. That's like the the kind of key sexual act that recurs again and again and again. So it did make me wonder about yeah this sense of and I don't want to get into fucking path path blah, 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 pathologizing her. <laughs> but is yeah. that even are we even using that word right? Pathologizing. Yeah. Don't know. <laughs> People can email us if they have a problem with it. 
Instagram me. <laughs> um, so in terms of the way that, like, so Nymphomania itself does come up here a, a bit. Um, one thing that I thought was really fucking clever um, is that it's kind of, like, self-referential in that, like, there's a few times in the book where it'll reference readers of this genre and things like that. Um, so, okay, so at one point in the book it says... At one time, she looked for her alter ego in novels and sometimes thought she had found her there. She trawled through books that staged the sexual life of female characters. She read enthusiastic reviews recommending these texts, presenting them like so many maps of a dark continent, results of previously unpublished explorations that have finally brought long-closeted mysteries of female desire and pleasure to light. They promised far more than a novel. They promised the truth. Da-da-da! Blah, 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 blah. The taste for sex itself was not a strength, but the consequence of extreme weakness. Incapable of, of existing as accountable subjects, the heroines lived only to be the objects of male desire. So I guess the thing that I liked about it that Nina Leger sort of plays with it is, is like, she knows, she knows the reversal she's doing and she references it in the book, which I thought was really mm. clever. It's interesting, like, that idea of reversal of you know, men being the sexual instigators and, and this this idea of, you know, men having a lot of sex and it, it being okay. And it goes into what we touched on before with, with satire. Sat- Damn it, I said it so well the There's first time. so many words. <laughs> English is hard. Um, so it's French. Satiriasis, um, where, you know... It's obviously, and and for those who like maybe don't know, a satyr is like a mythological creature, similarly to to a, a nymph, which is where the idea that both of these words came from. Although, fun fact, yes. fun fact time, <laughs> I read this whole thing about the 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 actual word nymphomania. So mythical medical naming essentially is is what this idea is called, and it's, it's like a big hit in the nineteenth century the Oedipal complex, mm-hmm. narcissism, veneral, like veneral diseases. Yeah. Where does that come from? Fucking Venus. Oh. It's named after Venus. Why? What? Because it's like Venus, love, sex, veneral disease. I don't know. Like, that's just, that's just what it is. Wow. There you go. Fun, fun I facts with learned. Abby. <laughs> <laughs> But um, so nymph obviously has the meaning of the mythical creature, the nymph, who was both like kind of virginal and the whore. And it's like there's this whole thing and it's very interesting to read about, but too much to go into. But also in ancient Greek, the term nymph or a a word very similar to meant bride, Mm -hmm. but also clitoris. Oh. And it was because it was named... That because the clitoris, like, God, I had it written here. It's like, it withdraws like a bride. The clitoris withdraws like a bride. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, it goes covered by the hood. Oh. It's like a bride in her veil. Wow. Uh, interesting. Yeah. So, um, so I learned about that. Yeah. But, right. but then, you know, so satyr is kind of like the male version of it, and the satyrs are like these half animal. If anybody's seen Hercules, mm-hmm. he's a really nice satyr. A lot of satyrs were not good. 
Wait. Hercules Disney version. Hercule Hercules is a ma- do you No, know? the what's his face? Oh the little like Danny DeVito. Goat man thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's a satyr. But he's like oh. he's a nice satyr because satyrs were like well known for like abducting women and, and raping them, essentially. Controversial opinion. Ooh. I'm really into Danny DeVito's voice. <laughs> I don't know why or where that... I don't know. I just like it. <laughs> That's weird. I'm not... <laughs> I don't know if I can support that. He sounds like a... Like an old man on helium. I don't know. He's got like this weird, like nasally... He sound... he... I mean, sure. You do you. You know? You do you. Um, but I guess, I, I guess may, I might cut that off. I'm ready to own it. <laughs> I guess the thing is that like this idea of satirism was also around at the same time, but like, surprise, surprise. Yeah. <laughs> Sexism. Shocker. Doctors didn't ever diagnose it or they diagnose it very infrequently. They believed it occurred less frequently. Um, a, nymph- a nymphomaniac was seen as like super diseased and yeah. terrible and then cases of satyriasis were seen as very mild. Um, if you, for a worst case scenario, if you're a nymph, you're probably just going to be a prostitute or go to an insane asylum. Yeah. But if you're a satyr you, or you have satyriasis, it's about learning to control yourself. Of course. And you'll be fine. I mean, I've said it before and I'll say it again. There is nothing more terrifying than a sexually empowered woman woman, and we need to control them in any way we possibly can. Yes. And so in the other one that I was reading that was about like the, the word nymphomaniac and whatever, they were talking about how a nymph is shown as this kind of beautiful woman and a satyr is shown as this half animal, half man thing. Yeah. This is when I started getting freaked out about all the layers of sexism and, and how I was like just <laughs> in this world and existing and these things carry through, they made sirens. this... Sirens, sorry. <laughs> yes, sirens. That's where I was going to okay. point it back to Homer yeah. and the idea of the sirens, and the oh, sirens weren't mind. actually what we've been told that they are. It's yeah. just popular culture has made them what they are. Yeah. Similarly with nymphs. But this idea of a satyr being obviously something that you can tell, you can look at, you can be like, that's a satyr, and that's probably bad, and I should not be around that person. Whereas a nymph just looks like a normal woman. Yeah, so you can't trust those women, you know? Yes. So they made this connection being like, and this is like, because they appear as normal women, women, worryingly, it makes all women potentially pathological. Yeah, okay. I guess similarly, like, you can't um, distinguish, like, a witch from... A regular human. No, exactly. And it, and they had the same thing with, um, you know, doctors warning. One of the big things was in the 19th century was warning other doctors that your female patients who have nymphomania will try to seduce you. Of course. And I guess that ties all back into... When were we talking about um, with psychologists? In horror, yeah. yeah. Being like, oh, women want to have sex with me. Yeah. <sighs> and also they would say, you know, they would want gynecological exams because they got pleasure of having a bloody duck bill I tell you what, shoved on them. It's not... I mean, actually, there is... A, there are some people who do enjoy that kind of play. That's fine. Not for me. Yeah, and, like, not so common that you'd be like, this is a thing of yeah. these people. Like, they just come around because they just like to have this... Go- Particularly in the 19th century. Yeah, that would have I been I do awful. not think it been that... Cold. <laughs> It would have been metal. I don't think the duckbill would have been as, like, well-designed as what it is. There definitely would have been more of that. You know that clicking noise that 
apparently has been oh, yeah, designed the... out. <sighs> yeah, it has been designed out. Which I think is a really... It, it deserves recognition because that noise... Trauma. Ch- it chills me yeah. to the bone. It's bad. Yeah. It's not... Yes, no, I agree. <laughs> Good on them for designing them out. Yeah, for realising, like, that's a upsetting sound. Let's yeah. get rid of it. Yeah. I wonder who did that. I wonder if it was a woman. Interesting. I'm going to Google that later. <laughs> so, like, the there's a part in the book that kind of stuck out to me because it was a part that she really explicitly deals with, or maybe doesn't deal with, but acknowledges nymphomania and kind of, like, points the finger at it. And I'm going to read it to you. The word which no one dares to let loose, but which they know will appear. The word which they would like to pronounce courageously, trembling with the risk of it. The word which suddenly rings out from the corner of the room. Necks are dislocated to discover where this audacity comes from. But already the shock wave of the word has washed over, and royalty-free is taken up by everyone. Nymphomania. There. The unknown that solves the equation. Voices erupt all around, beside themselves. Nymphomaniac. Jeanne, nymphomaniac, nymphomaniac of 22, 36, or 43, a redhead, brunette, or blue nymphomaniac, a 34D nymphomaniac, competitive nymphomaniac, featherweight or bottomweight, a nymphomaniac for the modern era, the era of the internet and globalization, middle class or upper class nymphomaniac, morphine addict nymphomaniac, manic nymphomaniac, genetically modified nymphomaniac, the greatest nymphomaniac in history. Her mother was that way, her grandfather too. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree, and if you could go back to the Stone Age, you would no doubt find a prehistoric fornicator, a cave-wrecking nymphomaniac, breaking up homes with a flint nymphomaniac. Jeanne, or nympho, it depends. Nymphomania, a sexuality lacking pleasure, a sad pathology. Nympho, a fucker, a cum slut, a bitch on heat, a thirsty whore. The rhythm accelerates, explanations fragment. The adjectives destroy their grammatical constructions. Crazy, vulgar, seductress, perverse, sick. The words tear each other into pieces. Whew. <laughs> that, was, that was a lot. There's a lot in there. Um, and it's kind of... It's it's angry, you know? Mm. And I, I read this thing. I read an article on the... Com- the conversation mm-hmm. that was after the release of Nymphomania, the film, and talking about, you know, that maybe this controversy around the film is not a good thing because it's bringing back this idea of nymphomania into common discourse of, like, something that's thrown at women who yeah. enjoy having sex, like calling someone a nympho or whatever. Yeah. It, it turns it into kind of a disease. And it finished with this great line that essentially said, you know, Men like to imagine the existence of nymphomaniacs as long as they don't have to have sex with one. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> and that's the thing, right? It's like this idea of, you know, this woman who is so sexually free, but then if they were ever actually faced with it, they'd be terrifying. Obviously, hashtag not all men, but, you know. <laughs> yeah. I guess similar to the whole Madonna whore complex thing, like it also comes out to play, I think, a fair bit in not necessarily always in like sexual liberation but certainly in this idea of like the strong powerful independent woman you know and this the the almost fetishization of that Mm. at the moment which is a lie (laughs) (laughs) they don't want you (laughs) they want the idea of you yeah yeah um so i i essentially i just have like two points yeah okay left of just like bonkers 
things that doctors thought. Doctors are bonkers. In the 19th century. As a bit of a downer, but I think it's important to, to point out as well, is that, like, female genital mutilation still happens, and often it still happens as a means of controlling female sexuality. Like, this is a legit thing, and so, Mm -hmm. like... I think, obviously, as you said before, we're talking about this mainly from a Western perspective. Um, but that being said, it does also happen in the West. We shouldn't just be like, oh, it's an over-there problem. Mm. Um, but, like, it's doctors are fucking nuts sometimes with the things that they put onto... And, and also, I think, like, it's good... I mean, it's all well and good for us to kind of laugh at these crazy 19th century doctors. But thinking about it in the context, like, these people were leading the thought process yeah. on these issues. Like, they were not... They were not just, like, crazy people. They were educated in their context. And so when just thinking about, like, what I kept on thinking about with this is, like, thinking about particularly with with psychological behaviours, how far we've come. But the idea that in, like, 200 years someone's going to look back at what we currently think with our psychological disorders and be like... Oh, yeah. listen to these bonkers people yeah. <laughs> that used to, you know, and like gay conversion therapy yeah. was a thing not so long ago and mm. is still a thing in a lot of places. Like that kind of stuff. How are we, you know, I, I just like, obviously I'm making fun of people in the 19th century, but, <laughs> but I'm also like, well, but the, the ramifications are still felt. Today. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think so these ones were just so great. I just really loved it. Because all these doctors were men, right? And they just, like, they knew... One of the other things that I read was actually that, like, quite a few of the doctors realised that it it impinged on women a lot more than it did on men. And, and some doctors were actually quite ahead of their times with that. So I think that's also worth notice, noting. Like, not everyone was like, women suck and <laughs> yeah. are hysterical yeah. and whatever. But, um... So the two things that I love are both about the clitoris yeah. <laughs> that doctors thought. <laughs> and um, so, as I was saying, one of the signs of nymphomania was was um, increased masturbation or, like, just masturbating too much, which I really wonder about, like, what that was in the yeah, 19th who's century. Who's making up the rules about Because I, I think, much. like, and this is something else we should talk about, but masturbation, like, female masturbation is still a thing that people don't really talk about. And yeah. the idea of, like how much you masturbate and and how you masturbate affecting your sexual desires yeah. and things like that is is definitely something worth a, a lot of kind of thought but i wouldn't even know what i'm sure that there are still people who are like oh my god you masturbate like once a day for a woman like yeah. that's that's so much yeah. you know um it's not by the way <laughs> and so but anyway they're saying you know female masturbators are easily detectable because the clitoris will usually be found erect, and on touching it, the patient will almost invariably show her want of self-control. So essentially, they would touch the clitoris, and if a woman found pleasure from that, that was a sign that that she like was a masturbator and, and masturbated too much. And it's tied into this idea, which still exists, right? These are the crazy things. It's like, yeah, okay, we don't think that... But the actual assumption underlying it is still in our discourse in some se- in some senses. And so the idea was that female desire was passive. It was connected to, like, true love, to relationships. Yeah. And women couldn't get off unless they were in a loving relationship. Yeah. So if there was a woman who just got off from the purely physical, 
she was an infomaniac. Yeah, right. So the idea being that if if a woman comes to a doctor and the doctor who she doesn't know and is not in love with and has and experiences some level of pleasure from being touched, then she must be yeah, yeah, essentially. Yeah, right. And you're right. It absolutely like fo- like follows through to mm. to how we often see women portrayed today absolutely and then i thought this one you would quite enjoy so there's this whole idea of you know the the clitoris is erect and whatever so an enlarged clitoris was a sign of an infomaniac and a prostitute Mm -hmm. um but the hypertrophy which i had to look up is increased muscle size due to exercise of a clitoris Mm -hmm. was signs that they were a lesbian (laughs) Or, but essentially, like, lesbians use their clitoris more, which meant yeah. it got, like, super ripped. They just got real ripped clitoris. clitoris. <laughs> and therefore, that's how you prove a lesbian. So, <laughs> <laughs> fun fact of Abby, 19th oh century edition. I, I can't even. I so, just... they're my two fun facts. That's all I've got left. The way I want to wrap this up today is I looked on... Um, I looked on Goodreads because I was like, I wonder what people are saying about this book. And obviously, um, you know, for anyone who hasn't been on Goodreads, people like regular people can leave their uh, high quality reviews of books online. Um, <laughs> and there were there were a handful of the collection that I that I thought were interesting coming from um, some men. <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> so, firstly, from Doug. Doug says... Strong name, Doug. Leave it to the French to not only make penises boring, but cerebral. (laughs) (laughs) See, now, that guy obviously doesn't think the French are all erotic masters. (laughs) But anyway. Um, Actually, this one's from Jessica. Uh, So Jessica says, Too much penis, not enough plot. In fact, penis is the plot. Pure filth, and not in a way I found it all sexy. And I mean, like, fair, I, you know, I did say that it wasn't exactly, it wasn't um, the sexiest thing in, in, a, in, a, in a wanking sense. But anyway, Jessica, thank you. Um, and the last... Taking your calls now. <laughs> and lastly from Tom, who didn't feel the need to be too verbose with his review, simply said, cock-filled nonsense. <laughs> That's just describing my weekend, Tom. <laughs> I am going to use that to describe so many things now. Absolutely, and I and I. This wish... meeting is cock-filled nonsense. <laughs> I wish everyone cock-filled nonsense. <laughs> oh yeah, it's both a it's both a positive and a negative. Yeah. Oh Tom, you've changed my life. Genius, Tom. <laughs> Genius. Mm, box love.